This is the Radio Bible Class, and I'm your host, Tim Carter. We welcome you to our Bible study as a Radio Bible Class streams across the nation and around the world. We bring to you a message how Christ ministers to his disciples after the resurrection. We greet you on the internet and radio with the message that Jesus is alive today. Now, today's lesson is titled Deceit and Trickery, and it comes from 1 Samuel 18, verses 17 through 30. But before we start our lesson today, Word Talk Inc. could use your support. Now, playing music on the radio may sound simple, but actually it's quite costly due to publishing rights and royalties. And before that first song was ever played, there's utility bills and tower rental fees and maintenance and so forth. We need people just like you to help with a tax-deductible gift. So won't you do that today? So you can do that by calling us at 601-483-8648. There they can take your information safely and securely over the phone or mail us your gift to Word Talk, Inc., P.O. Box 4334, Meridian, Mississippi, 39304. Now your gift to Word Talk, Inc. is IRS approved as a 501c3 tax-exempt ministry. Now your contribution is never used for salaries or managerial purposes, but 100% of it goes to the expense providing the good news of Jesus Christ to our listening area. Hebrews 13, 16 says, Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Now, if you'd like to go back and listen to a previous lesson, you can do that by going to our podcast website. That's Radio Bible Class, with no space between radiobibleclass.podbean.com. Or you can catch us wherever you listen to your podcast. Search for WMER Radio Bible Class, with no spaces between Radio Bible Class. Today we are continuing our series in the book of 1 Samuel and we're talking about David and Saul. And we're in a part of this series where we're focused on some of the sins that were brought on by Saul and brought him down. Last week we looked at the sin of jealousy and how harmful jealousy can be in our lives. This week we'll look at a pair of sins that will hurt you and hurt others too. The sin of manipulation and deceit. I bet some of you listening to me today are just like me. When I was growing up, I used to watch cartoons on a Saturday morning, and there was a series called Looney Tunes. And inside of Looney Tunes was this coyote and this roadrunner. And what we saw in that cartoon was that there was this coyote, and he had repeatedly attempts to catch and to eat the roadrunner. But he was never successful. I mean, he was cunning, he was devious, he seemed hungry all the time, and he thought of any way he could to catch that roadrunner. He came up with all kinds of plans and snares. One of the reasons why I liked this show was because the engineer in me loved the complexity of the designs of the contraptions that he used to catch the roadrunner. But unfortunately, it would backfire on him. Often, Coyote would wind up being injured. He would get trapped or he would get hurt by the very thing he tried to do to the roadrunner. Well, just like that cartoon that I watched, there's some of us that use the very same techniques. They use deceit. They use manipulation. And they try to work a system. They try pulling people's strings. They try operating behind the scenes. But basically, all they do is get in their own way. And today we're going to see that's what happens to King Saul. King Saul tries to manipulate. He tries to pull deceit. He, he tries to do stuff in the background. And what happens? It winds up backfiring on him just like it did on Wiley Coyote. Sadly, some of you listening to me take pride in your ability to be bad, to manipulate people and manipulate a situation that's around you. But deep down inside, you know that that is wrong. God has a better way for you and he has a better way for us to learn from today. 
If you remember last week, we saw in this chapter that Saul was afraid of David. He was afraid of David because the Lord was with David and he had left Saul. And Saul tries to manipulate the situation in various ways in order to get rid of David. Now, as we look at Saul's dealing with David today, I want to take a closer look at ourselves at the same time in our own deceitful ways, the way we manipulate, the way we use deceit, and all that is wrong. And if we're truly honest, we would say that there's no need to manipulate someone or deceive someone when we trust in God. The first thing I want to look at, though, is Saul's deceit. And right here, we're going to see where he used his daughter, his own daughter, his oldest daughter, to be married to David. Now, normally offering your daughter in marriage to someone is an act of love and of trust and of goodwill. And perhaps that's what it looked like on the surface with Saul when he offered her to David. But remember that manipulation and deceit is always operated below the surface level. It's not something that you see. People hide it in the background. So we need to dig in a little bit, a little deeper to see that. So if you would, turn with me to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're going to start in verse 17, and I'm going to be reading out of the ESV. Then Saul said to David, Here is my elder daughter Merib, and I will give her to you for a wife. Only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battle. For Saul thought, Let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. And we'll stop right there for now. I want to go back to what was said back in chapter 16, where Saul told David, whoever defeats Goliath in battle gets my daughter in marriage. And so it seems and it sounds like he's honoring his word. It all sounds good at first. Saul's added some new conditions, though, to this deal. He's added, I will give her to you in marriage. Only serve me bravely and fight the battle of the Lord. I don't know about you, but I can tell you that this has happened to me before. Someone promised me something and then they kept changing the terms. Every time that I met that one condition, they added another. They kept raising the bar. They kept upping the ante. Well, that's a form of manipulation and deceit. When you try to do that, you're not honoring your original word or agreement. You're manipulating your behavior with promises that you never intend to keep. So understand, if you don't want to be like Saul and his deceit, then don't break your word. The Bible has a word for this, this type of deceit. He calls it a madman. Listen to what Solomon wrote in Proverbs 26, verses 17 through 19. Whoever meddles in a quarrel, not his own, is like one who takes a passing dog by the ear, like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor and says, I'm only joking. Right there in verse 18, it says, Like a madman who throws firebrands, arrows, and death is the man who deceives his neighbor. What it's saying here, when you manipulate people in this way, it's like shooting an arrow at them. It's like causing a great damage. And it's only a matter of time before that's going to catch back up with you. So one of the ways we see that Saul was deceitful and he used trickery was that he was deceitful by backtracking on his promise. Now, the other thing is we'll see that he shifted the blame. Look back at verse 17 with me real quick. The second half of that verse says, For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but let the hand of the Philistines be against him. Here's what he's saying. I will not raise my hand against him. I'll let the Philistines do that for me. Right here in the second part of this verse, we see the real motive, the underlying motive. 
Saul's eager to give his daughter's hand in marriage to David, but it's because Saul doesn't love David. He wants to welcome him to the family so he'll go out to battle and be killed by the Philistines. You see, marrying the king's daughter was a great privilege, but it also put a target on your back. And Saul's playing the law averages here. He's saying, if David marries my daughter, and then he goes out and he goes to battle and he keeps fighting those Philistines, one of the Philistines is going to take him out. Saul figures that he's eventually going to get killed. And in his mind, he says, well, I'm not the one that killed him. Instead, David got killed battling for the name of the Lord. The Philistines killed him, not me. But we see Saul's true motive here. And it's to get David killed. And so if you don't want to be deceitful like Saul, we got to be careful that we keep our word. And the second thing is, we don't shift the blame. He's trying to shift the blame right here over to the Philistines. Don't shift the blame to someone else. What you need to understand is when we shift the blame to others, we're practicing that manipulation and deceit. We're refusing to take responsibility for our action. We justify ourselves. We're distracted by our own justification. We deflect that it's not us, it's them. We direct the attention to the other people, and even though it was ultimately our idea anyhow. Now, even though you may trick others with your deception, you can never deceive the Lord. The Lord knows your heart and your motives. Listen to what Proverbs 16.2 says. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. We can make our own plans, but the Lord gives the right answer. People may be pure in their own eyes thinking that, hey, I'm innocent because it wasn't me. Somebody else did it, but you set it up to happen. And the Lord examines the motive behind that. And that's what this verse tells us. Listen to what Proverbs 24, 12 says. If you say, behold, we do not know this, does not he who weighs the heart perceive it? Does not he who keeps watch over your soul know it? And will he not repay man according to his work? I like the way the New Living Translation reads. I'm going to read it to you there as well. Do not excuse yourself by saying, look, we didn't know. For God understands all hearts and he sees you. He who guards your soul knows you knew. He will repay all people as their actions deserve. As the old saying goes, you can fool some of the people some of the time and some of the people all the time, but you can't fool God, not any of the time. You can't fool God, period. God cannot be mocked. God cannot be fooled. And so even though Saul seems to be doing something nice and keeping his word to a certain extent by offering his daughter for marriage, He's really shifting the blame to David's death to the Philistines. He's manipulating and using his daughter, one, to not keep his word, and two, to shift the blame to the Philistines. But just like that coyote, things are about to get turned on him. The very tool that the coyote used would wind up blowing up on him. And we're going to see right here in the next several verses, David's humility. Look at David's humility with me real quick. Verse 18. And David said to Saul, Who am I and who are my relatives, my father's clan in Israel, that I should be a son-in-law to the king? But at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to Adriel, the Mahalathite, for a wife. I love this. Saul has it all figured out. What does David do? David says, Who am I? Who am I to marry the king's daughter? And that's a great question for any of us to ask anytime God blesses us with something. That's humility. 
Who am I to receive this blessing? I certainly know I don't deserve this. Now, later on, when David becomes king and God promises David that one of his offspring will rule the throne forever, David continues to demonstrate this same heart and attitude of humility. This is why David was a man after God's own heart. We read David's response to God's promises in 2 Samuel 7:18. Listen to it real quick. Then King David went in and sat before the Lord and said, Who am I, O Lord God? And what is my house that you have brought me thus far? And yet this was a small thing in your eyes, O Lord. You have spoken also your servant's house for a great while to come. And this instruction for mankind. Even as king, he stands before the Lord, sovereign God, and says, Who am I? What is my family that you have brought me this far? That you are going to bless my house forever? O Lord, you are truly God. That's what he's saying. And we know that that promise to David was, of course, fulfilled through the offspring of Jesus, the Son of God who became man, and he reigned as the King of kings and Lord and Lord forever. As Christians, we have been brought into this kingdom through his righteous sacrifice, through his blood, through his perfect sacrifice. And we should never cease to wonder at God's mercy and grace to us. We should ask, who am I that I should share in the grace of Jesus Christ, my Savior? I did nothing to deserve this. And when we understand that, we truly see the grace that God gives us. 1 Peter 5 says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. David had that heart of humility, and God would raise him up to be king one day in due time. So that's one thing I want you to see is the humility of David. And then if you're Saul, who's just like Coyote, you put the bait out there. You offer your daughter in marriage, and he turns it down. What do you do? How do you handle that? Well, we'll look at that. Look at verse 20 with me. Now Saul's daughter Michal loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. Saul thought, let me give her to him, that she may be a snare to him, and the hand of the Philistines may come against him. Therefore Saul said to David a second time, you shall now be my son-in-law. Saul learns that Michal loves David, and he figures he can use her. He can use somebody. He can trick somebody. He can snare And as you read this part of scripture, you can't help but wonder, how low will Saul go? Throwing spears at David was bad enough. You can chalk that one up to a moment of anger where bitterness came out. Who hasn't had that moment in their time? But now Saul is purposely, intentionally using his daughter to try and kill David. Saul is basically weaponizing his own daughter. Does Saul even care about McCall at this point? She loves David. And in marrying her off to David, does Saul care that he's going to hurt her when he kills her husband that she loves? This is the very opposite of what Jesus taught in Matthew 7 when he says, So in everything you do, do to others that you would have them do to you. The golden rule. Everybody knows that. How do you like it when you find out someone's been using you? We don't like it all. Now do we? Do you really like it if you find out somebody used you? Using people for your own purpose is a hideous sin. And yet, another example, we see right here how when someone practiced manipulation, when they practice deceit and trickery, it ruins lives. And Saul is using his own daughter to try and get at David. 
Hopefully you've learned that you don't want to be deceitful like Saul and you don't want to break your word. You don't want to divert the blame to others. And now hopefully you're seeing through his trickery you don't want to use people. You hurt the people you use. Unfortunately, it doesn't stop there. Watch what else he does. He uses flattery for evil. Look at verses 22 and 23 with me. And Saul commanded his servant, Speak to David in private and say, Behold, the king has delighted in you, and all his servants love you. Now then become the king's son-in-law. And Saul's servant spoke those words in the ear of David. And David said, Does it seem to you a little thing to become the king's son-in-law, since I am a poor man and have no reputation? So what we see, Saul sends his messenger to speak to David, to speak a good and pleasing thing to David. It's all flattery, but it's all deceit. It's all trickery. It's all manipulation. This is nothing but a ruse. Now, Saul is not pleased with David. Saul actually wants David dead. Saul is trying to manipulate David into marrying McCall in order to put that big target on his back so that the Philistines will be even more motivated to kill him. Now, how often do we use flattery to deceive someone or to manipulate someone or to trick someone? We want to advance our own agenda, so we use it. But Proverbs 26, verses 24 through 28 tells us, Whoever hates disguises himself with his lips, and he harbors deceit in his heart. When he speaks graciously, believe not in him. For there are seven abominations in his heart. Though his hatred be covered with deception, his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. Whoever digs a pit will fall into it, and a stone will come back on him and start it rolling. A lying tongue hates its victim, and a flattering mouth works ruin. We all love flattery. We love to be told how good we are. We love to hear all the good things about ourselves. But I would just caution you, be careful. People will use that, especially deceitful people and folks that are trying to trick you to get what they want. I can think about my kids, how they would run up and get in my lap and just tell me how much they love me and how much fun I am and how I'm their favorite parent. And what would happen next? They would ask me for what they really wanted. They didn't have to learn that. That's just something we know. That's the evil inside of us. And my children even knew how to do that. But again, David and his humility right here at the very end says, Who am I? I'm too poor to be the king's son-in-law. I don't have anything to offer to buy the pay the bride price. Look at what happens when the servant returns back to Saul. Verses 24 and 25. And the servant of Saul told him, Thus, and so did David speak. Then Saul said, Thus shall you say to David, The king deserves no bride price except a hundred foreskins of the Philistine, that he may be avenged of the king's enemy. And now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. Offering both of his daughter to David didn't work. So what does Saul do? He moves on to his next strategy. He works on his bravery. He works on the strategy that he can appeal to David's bravery and his sense of honor. And he tells David, the bride price for Michal is a hundred Philistine foreskins. Now, of course, Saul is hoping that the Philistines will kill David as David attempts to collect the bride price. So Saul sets up this trap, this trickery for David by appealing to his bravery and his honor. And David is too humble to just simply accept Michal as his wife. But surely he will jump at the chance to make her his bride if they love one another. And while he's doing that, 
Hopefully this trap will work. Hopefully the Philistines will kill him. Want to think about setting traps like we see right here? Also think about the Pharisees with Jesus. We read in Matthew 22 that the Pharisees went out and they laid plans to trap him in his own words. They sent their disciples to ask him, Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and that you teach the way of God in accordance to the truth. We understand that you aren't swayed by men and you pay no attention to who they are. But tell us about your opinion on this. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? And Jesus, knowing their intent, understanding what was behind this question and this flattery that they used towards him, he tells them, give to Caesar what is Caesar and give to God what is God. They were a bunch of hypocrites. And he tells them, you're a hypocrite and you're trying to trap me. And just like the coyote, the Pharisees, it blows up in their face. And we're going to see this blows up in Saul's face. And you know why it blows up in Saul's face? Because God is sovereign. Eventually, when you practice manipulation and trickery, when you practice deceit and trickery, you're eventually going to run up against God's sovereignty. And that's exactly what Saul discovers in his plan and his dealings that he has with David. All of Saul's manipulation, all of his deceit, all his trickery get him nowhere when he runs straight up against God's sovereignty. Look at that with me real quick. Look at verse 26 with me. And when his servant told David these words, it pleased David well to be the king's son-in-law. Before the time had expired, David arose and went along with his men, and he killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, which were given in full number to the king, that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave his daughter Michal for his wife. But when Saul saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David, so Saul was David's enemy continuously. Then the commander of the Philistines came out to battle, and as often as they came out, David had more success than all the other servants of Saul, so that his name was highly esteemed. Saul had laid the best plan he thought. Surely David will die. But God delivers David from Saul's trap. God gives David overwhelming success in his mission. At first, David brings back double the number of foreskins that Saul asked for. Of course, this would prevent Saul from backtracking on the promise and changing the condition again. And then we're told David did this before the time allotted. Apparently, Saul had put some type of time limit on this agreement, probably so that he would have to battle more people at one time and make it tougher so that it would increase the danger and he would die. But that's not what happened. David completes the assignment before the allotted time elapsed. So David brings back double the amount and sooner than expected. And this was a sign of God's blessing on David's life. And we see that Saul sees that. You know, David doesn't take any of this for granted. David trusts God's sovereignty and he looks to the Lord for his protection and deliverance. And we read in Psalms 141, but my eyes are toward you, O God, my Lord. In you I seek refuge. Leave me not defenseless. Keep me from the trap that they have laid for me and for the snares of evildoers. Let the wicked fall into their own nets while I pass by safely. This is a psalm written by David, and he says, Let the evildoers fall into their own nets. And that's exactly what God does in his sovereignty with Saul. Just like the coyote has everything fall back on him, everything that Saul's done, all the schemes that he's tried come back to haunt him. God uses Saul's own schemes against him. 
Saul tries to get David killed. God grants David success. Saul puts David in charge of the army. David gains more military experience that he'll need as king. Saul tries to use his daughter against David. David ends up marrying her. And worst of all, at the end of all of Saul's schemes, David is loved even more by the people and the officers in the army. David has great success and becomes well-known among the people. Saul's son, Jonathan, is David's best friend. And Saul's daughter is now David's wife. Everyone is for David. Saul is the only one that's against him. And Saul's strategies keep backfiring on him, just like that coyote and the roadrunner. And a matter of fact, Saul will eventually meet his own end at the hand of the Philistines. Even though David will have an opportunity several times to take Saul out, he won't do it. He honors him as king. And Saul will die at the hand of the Philistines. You can't fight against God. God is sovereign and his purpose will always prevail. God has a story and we are just a pawn in it. And when we yield to him, he will give us his protection with his sovereignty. I'm out of time, so let me close with this quick thought. The Bible teaches us that deceit and trickery and manipulation is always wrong. As a matter of fact, in 1 Peter 2, he says, Therefore rid ourselves of all malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spherical milk, so therefore we must grow up in our salvation. That list right there in 1 Peter sounds like all of Saul's manipulation and his trickery right here. Malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy. We're to get rid of all that, and that's something that just comes natural to us. Instead, we're to crave pure spiritual milk. We're to pursue truth and sincerity and honesty that we may grow up in our salvation. See, manipulation, deceit, and trickery shows a lack of trust in God's sovereignty. It shows us that we're operating in our own strength. But when we understand God's sovereignty, when we yield to Him as Lord of our life, when we give our heart to Him in fullness, when we die to ourselves and walk with Him, then we don't manipulate. We operate in love and peace and joy. Today, understand, when you practice manipulation, when you practice deceit, when you practice trickery, you only end up harming yourself. And guess what? You also end up harming those around you. Remember that there's no need to practice deceit or trickery. Trust in the Lord. Walk in the fullness of the Spirit. Commit to be a person of truth and a trusting person that walks in the sovereignty of God. Let us pray. Dear Holy Father, we come before you today, Lord. We see today the trickery and deceit. And Lord, as we think about it, as we look at our own lives, as we examine our own life, we find a lot of times we are just like Saul. Lord, we find ourselves trying to manipulate people to get what we want. We try to flatter people. We try to get people to do things, and we try to shift the blame when it blows up in our face. Lord, let us see that we are just to honor you and walk in you. Lord, we ought to give our life to you, and we ought to trust you. Quit doing it in our own street. Quit trying to make it our way, but do it your way. Your word tells us that you have a plan that is to prosper us, that is good for us. It is not something that's bad. And when we will follow after you, when we seek after you, that your plan will lead us down the path. 
Lord, right now, I feel like someone is listening today that needs to turn something over. They need to ask for forgiveness because they manipulated a lot of people. And they may not have thought it was that bad because it wasn't like they were trying to kill somebody like Saul is doing here with David. But they manipulated somebody to get something. They manipulated somebody so they could get their way. Lord, right now, I pray that they will just lay it at your feet and ask for forgiveness and start operating in a yielded vessel unto you. Lord, they'll quit doing their own thing. Lord, right now, I pray for the one that doesn't know you at all. Lord, that they would ask you to be Lord of their life. Lord, that they would say, I am a sinner. I believe on your finished work on the cross. I believe you went and died on the cross for me as a perfect sacrifice. You overcame death. And Lord, I confess that before men that I that you are Lord. And right now, Lord, they will follow after you. Lord, we thank you for all your blessings. It's in your name we pray. Amen.